0: You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Robe. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. The Pro Tour is back with a new emphasis on regional championships. Can we brew our way back to the PT? Plus early previews from New Capenna and testing results with Fable of the Mirror Breaker. That's all coming up on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am your host, Dan Shriver, also known as Cave Dan Online. And I am joined today by Pro Tour competitor, Emi Sagasti, <laughs> also known as More to Light. Emi, welcome.
1: Thanks so much, Pro Tour competitor, also known as Daniel Shriver. How's it going, <laughs> CaveDan? Dan?
0: <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, better today than yesterday, or I should say better today than two days ago, because we just had a fantastic announcement. Referring, of course, to the return of the Pro Tour, the big, much-hyped, organized play stream. And yeah, just soaking it all in. Today's a great day, feeling very optimistic.
1: I'm so happy they just went ahead and called it Pro Tour again. It's such a meaningless thing, but it's it feels so much better than, say, standard showdown competitor than Pro Tour competitor, and that's all I'm going to say about that. The naming is everything.
0: They definitely made the right call by putting that as the headline of the article, the pro tour returns return of the pro tour. If they said anything else, if it had been called anything else, I think everyone would be in like a very negative headspace. (laughs) It would be like, Oh, uh, this announcement's gonna suck, all these details are terrible, but as soon as you call the Pro Tour, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is yeah,
1: great. Yeah, pretty swag, yeah!
0: They even have a diagram that's like a pyramid scheme, but it's like, yeah, it's a clear diagram, we understand it now.
1: <laughs> Look at this multi-level marketing we're employing, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: This is a true representation of how a competitive scene works. <laughs> so, should we just jump right in, or...
1: Yeah, I Wait, mean... no, we should not jump right in. Hang on. We should do some housekeeping as usual. <laughs>
0: very good, yes. So before we jump right in, let's just knock our housekeeping out of the way right at the very top. As always, if you like what we do here at the Faithless Brewing Podcast, the best way to support us is to join our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you like. That gets you access to our Discord channel, where you can join our wonderful community of faithless brewers. Come hang out with myself, with Emmy, David and Damon, and all Hey-o. of... <laughs> yes, that's Emmy. <laughs> but speaking hey. on behalf of David and Damon. <laughs> <laughs> You'll also get access to other cool rewards. We have stickers, we have tokens, we have playmats. If you're getting ready to take down the competition at your local game store, getting ready to do some regional championship qualifiers, and you want to represent for the Faithless family, the Faith Is Brewing Patreon is where you can find all of the details on getting your hands on one of those.
1: So, now with that being said, then do you want to jump right in? <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now I think
0: it's the time we've scoped out the scene. We've checked to make sure that we have our keys, that we locked the house <laughs> before we left home. We're hydrated. Now we can jump right in. <laughs>
1: You just say that and it made me remember the time on New Year's Eve I left my apartment without my keys and it was New Year's Eve and I had no keys and I was locked in my building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely night. So, let's look at this multi-level marketing we're being offered right here.
0: Alright, so it's a pyramid scheme with four levels of a <laughs> pyramid. But this is a good pyramid scheme. The good ones. <laughs> Bottom level Regional championship qualifiers. If you win at those, you qualify for the regional championships. At the regional championship, some number of invites will be awarded to the Pro Tour. Yes, the Pro Tour. Pro Tours will happen three times a year, and the capstone event will be the world championship, which happens once a year.
1: Ah, this is lovely.
0: So let's just break that down a little bit, piece by piece, and you'll find that some elements are familiar and some are a little bit new.
1: I just found like the straight comparison of regional championship qualifiers, the first level being the PPTQs, regional championships being PTQs, and then you have the the PD and the World Championship as the easiest way to sum it up in like a few words.
0: Really? Because I feel like the regional championship is is something bigger than we've seen before. Regional PTQs, I well, mean, they only existed for a year or two, but they were kind of grim affairs. Um, <laughs> they were kind of small, and everyone kind of felt bad about the whole experience. <laughs> like,
1: well, I'm used to only having like three PTQs organized by the same stores in the whole country, because like, the only cooperative scene is in, the same, is in Buenos Aires. So maybe it's like the Argentinian point of view where every single different, every version of the PTQ was the same for us, because it's the same people doing it in the same city.
0: I see. So to me, regional championships is somewhere between like nationals and a really big Grand Prix, but more on the national side. And maybe that's because I'm in the US region. So when I look at the details of what is the regional championship, I'm like, wow, this is a big event. It's going to be, you know, multi-day, huge cash prizes.
1: Yeah, they've been comparing it to Magic Fests in like the side, side, in the side events category. It was similar to a Magic Fest in what they expected.
0: Yeah, at least the USA one. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So let's let's just go through piece by piece, starting with the Pro Tour. Three of these per year. They said they're going to aim for about 300 players each, half a million in prizes. They have a new system for chaining together qualifications. This is something that was always part of the dream of being on the train, the gravy train, where you could strain <laughs> together qualifications by just doing well without having to actually win the events. In the past, that role was served by the Pro Players Club, where you could acquire silver status, gold status, platinum status. There's none of that anymore. There is something called adjusted match points, which basically means that if you manage to win, uh, what is it, 13 matches, not counting your first three matches of the Pro Tour, basically your day two wins uh, yeah. count towards this adjusted match points total. If you get to 39 adjusted match points, you earn a set of qualifications for the future. Um, So just for example, uh, Emi and I both played at the Innistrad Championships. And there, day one was seven rounds. You had to win four rounds to make day two. And I was very happy. I made day two. I went four and three. Day two went very poorly. I got destroyed, but I managed to squeeze out a couple wins. So I ended that tournament with seven wins. So that would give me, in the new system, that would have given me 12 points? 12 adjusted match points. And then, you know, if I were to qualify again for the next championship and earn some more points there, you know, maybe you can see how even just getting middling finishes, you're in the mix for maybe qualifying.
1: Yeah, so you might, maybe in your second one, you get another 12, but in your third one, you get, like, just another 15 points, and that qualifies you automatically for the fourth one, eventually.
0: Yeah, so it's good that there's something there. Um, there's no yeah. benefits attached to that, but that's it's something at least.
1: Yeah. And the biggest part I think, like some I think that this might be the most shocking part about the whole announcement, at least for me perso- personally. I was already had an, an optimized view of what of what was about to happen. Like I, I expected something like this. But the first pro tour being in less than a year and the format being pioneer just blew my mind.
0: Yeah, that's huge, right? That's huge.
1: That was that just blew my mind. It was completely unexpected.
0: Not only is that the first Pro Tour format, but the first regional championship that feeds the Pro Tour will also be Pioneer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like they just went full Pioneer all of a sudden. And even if I'm not a huge fan of the format, I even if I, I prefer it miles over Standard, miles over Historic. And I'm really happy for the the fans of the format that it's getting some love finally.
0: Well, we are a Pioneer show, for better or worse. I mean, at various times that has been uh, our Achilles heel is that we kept (laughs) talking about Pioneer when everyone else had quit it. Now it's like, okay, we've been talking about Pioneer this whole time. Are people going to finally show an interest in this format? And of course, everyone's hopping on the train at the same time, and trying to brand themselves as I'm the Pioneer guy. I'm like, bro, you're not the Pioneer guy. We've been
1: here. We are the pioneer guys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> David is the pioneer guy. Look at that guy.
0: Maybe this is finally the time for you to learn pioneer. I mean,
1: I mean, I don't, I don't hate the format. Like, I enjoy pioneer. The thing is, I love modern so much that ninety-nine percent of my time playing magic is playing modern. And then we split the one remaining percent between draft and pioneer. <laughs> It's not that I hate Pioneer, it's that I love Modern. And I cannot play both at the same time. Mostly.
0: <laughs> well, this is probably a good time to mention that in our Friday episode, Emmy and I did a special episode geared at helping people get started in Modern. Uh we covered what are the top meta decks and like what you need to know about them if you're a newer player or a player who has not been fully invested in Modern. And we said we're going to do the same thing next week for Pioneer. And we said that even before we had gotten this pro tour announcement. announcement.
1: So yeah, we were visionaries. It seems
0: like now is the perfect time. Yeah, visionaries, exactly.
1: We saw it. We drew a card.
0: If you or people you know are starting to ask the question, what the heck is Pioneer and how do I get started in that format? Uh, check back next week for our format guide to Pioneer. We'll have all your questions answered.
1: Exactly. So... And also draft. I love that draft is back. I feel like draft, at least in the high levels of competition, is one of the most enjoyable brewing experiences and sort of like the biggest skill check of all the of all the formats.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, draft is so much fun to play. It's the purest way to play magic. And I think there's a lot of affinities between like the, the draft mindset, where you have to craft your own deck before you even sit down to play, and the brewing mindset. I think a lot of people who are primarily limited players find themselves wanting to like brew when they transition to constructed, yeah, you want to sort of sit down already having that deck advantage. you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's our way of forgiving ourselves for not being <laughs> the best technical player,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe we can always say okay we we're getting advantage on the deck brewing part, that's my aspect that's where we will shine
0: exactly. Exactly.
1: But yeah, having Draftback and Pioneer of... Like, I'm I'm going to complete the objective. I would have preferred Modern, but Pioneer and Draft would have been my second choice by a mile. Like, it's so far ahead over whatever we were doing before.
0: So, other things about the Pro Tour. Uh, they will have coverage, they confirmed that, and this is going to be a paper event. That's probably the biggest thing. Maybe we should have led with that. <laughs> the days of arena-only mythic championships or set championships are... Hopefully behind us. Now they did leave themselves some wiggle room. They said we don't know what's going to happen in the next year with you know the next waves of COVID or who knows what other zombie disease is going to come out of.
1: They said the correct thing to so people wouldn't jump, uh, They so people wouldn't point guns at them if they ever have to go back to arena. But I'm hopeful that we can. I will be able and then together we can both travel and play a paper P D in the next year.
0: That would be so awesome. Uh, Okay, so what else? Three Pro Tours per year, one World Championships. World Championships is a little bit bigger than before. It's got 120 slots, whereas previous versions of Worlds have had somewhere between, you know, 16, 24, I think this year is 32. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And there's actually ways to qualify directly for Worlds by winning your regional championship or even by being a Magic Online Showcase champion, although that's very difficult.
1: Yeah. That's a lot of tournaments in a row to win.
0: Yes. So that's the very, very tippy top of the pyramid, but let's get down to the exciting stuff. This is the stuff that is directly in front of us, the things we'll be striving for and checking our calendars to see where there's events happening near us. Regional championships and regional championship qualifiers. So there will be one regional championship per pro tour. Basically, uh, if you think of the, the year being divided into three seasons or three rounds, as they call it. At the regional championships, um, that's where the Pro Tour slots will be awarded. So in that sense, they are PTQs. But depending on what region you're in, this could be like a much larger event. You have to qualify for it by winning a regional cha- championship qualifier.
1: Yeah, you were 100% right. These are bigger than PTQs. Like I was, with the, the PTQs here used to be small, and now the regional championship is doing. There's no even a regional championship in Argentina. Like the whole of South America is in Chile.
0: Oh, the, the South American one is in Chile this year. Only Chile. Interesting.
1: Okay. Yeah, they just gave it to something called Magic Sur, Magic South. And they are in, based in Chile. Hmm.
0: Well, you only have to travel there once per season, hopefully. Yeah. For the regional championships. so it's kind of a big event, I think. So let's just take a look, for example, at, at what's going to happen at the USA Regional Championship. Dreamhack Atlanta. So Channel Fireball events has shut down. The contract or the regional organizer contract for the USA is now DreamHack. DreamHack Atlanta will happen in November. The regional championship will be a 2-day event. First prize will be $30,000, total payout of $130,000 paying down all the way to 64th place. Pro tour invites will be awarded all the way down to 48th place. So this is That's like a lot. big grand prix or qualifier that gives out 48 pro tour invites yeah now they're saying that that's a 32 is a normal amount but because it's the first year of the system they're adding an additional 16 slots to help seed the pro tour on day one of the event there will be nine rounds of swiss six three or better is required to make day two and then on day two again you're looking to make the top 64 for cash prizes but ideally the top 48 to get that coveted pt slot so as I'm looking at all this, I mean, it doesn't say how many people are going to be playing in this, but I have to imagine this is going to be somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people playing in the regional championship. Now, you ask yourself, how is that possible? How can there be so many people qualify for the regional championship? And that has to do with the bottom rung of the pyramid, which is the regional championship qualifiers. And these basically will happen at your local game store. It seems like each region will be allowed to handle them their own way, but you know any LGS Will be able to apply to just host one, and how many players will that be? What format will that be? Uh, that's totally up to the local scene.
1: I think that's amazing. The biggest part about this, which is something like I look on a thread on Jose Morisan and Mengucci, is the fact you're not the fact that people are only qualifying via victories now and not via playing a lot of events. I think will make it, and especially if they're giving LCS the, capa- the capability of doing this. I think the regional championships will be bigger in non-USA countries than in USA. Really? Yeah. I think mostly because we missed those events. We don't have, for example, we don't have a ship in Argentina since 2008. So anything resembling a big event is going to attract every possible Magic player at once.
0: Yeah, and this is a huge event. I mean, just looking at, at a $30,000 prize for first place, that's like a Pro Tour <laughs> prize. There have been Pro Tours that awarded only $20,000 to first place. So at least, again, this is just for the USA region, it seems like you're getting an additional three Pro Tours per year. Yeah. Now, it doesn't pay it down all the way, obviously, if you spend a bunch of money traveling to Atlanta or whatever city it's in, and you don't make you know, top 48 or 32 48. or whatever it is. um you know, you'll be disappointed. But that was always true of Grand Prix. So when I look at this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to be here. I will see you in Atlanta.
1: Oh, I will be at every single one yeah. of them. I can, I can afford, like, I'm already trying to see how, how we're traveling to Chile with my group. Like, we have a group that the competitive players are we're like, okay, how are we going to Chile? We know we are going. And it's like, like, we are going to the PDQ, Regional championship. We're qualifying somehow. I was just trying to ponder when and how.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Very exciting. So other notes, the online qualification paths are going to remain intact. So if you play primarily on Magic Online or Arena and you want to qualify through those paths, they're still going to be there. But now is the time, you know, the next couple of months to start checking around with your LGSs and see if they have any plans to host one of the regional Pro Tour qualifiers there's still time for stores to apply. So if you call up your LGS and they're like, we have not heard about this, what do we do? Just tell them to get in touch with the regional organizer and there should be information on the regional organizers page for how individual stores can get involved. All right. So that's all good news.
1: All the good things. The perfect things. Yeah. We're going to mention some stuff which is not the most positive, but I... I just want to say before going in, it's not even close to a complaint. Like, this has been a huge upgrade to what we had a few hours, a few days ago.
0: Yeah, so the next section of our outline is called things missing from the system. And I even wasn't even thinking of that as a negative when I wrote that. I was just, for the sake of clarity, just to remind myself okay, that okay. some <laughs> things we used to have are not part of this system. Okay. And whether that's bad or good, I guess that remains to be seen. So what what's missing here, Emmy?
1: So the first big thing that's missing is the Grand Prix system has been completely, at least as for now, being forsaken from history. <laughs> they just said these big events are going to be handled by the event organizers. They are doing stuff and they have already started announcing stuff. Like I think like the Legacy Series in Europe and big tournaments being around. I don't know if the USA something has been announced or stuff like... um. Star City Games and Energy will start taking control of those stuff and try to go for like Grand Prix size tournaments like Channel Fireball did in Las Vegas. But that's exactly what they said. They said we're giving the we're giving this to the external sources. So the big magic, what they used to call the magic fest, has no is no more.
0: Yeah. So if you are attending something like an SCG con or a NRG series event, or even a a DreamHack, there's a DreamHack Dallas coming up in June, you may be thinking, are those part of this new Pro Tour system? And the answer is probably they will be in the sense that they will be allowed to schedule regional championship qualifiers at these events. And I think NRG already said, yes, we are partnering with DreamHack so that at our NRGs, there will be at least two regional championship qualifiers when you come to our cons, but they're not like formally affiliated in any way, they're not formalized, like the Grand Prix were.
1: They just made ahead and transformed an old tournament into a regional championship qualifier.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: They just added a qualifier to the event. Because it's almost free for them to do and it's a great way for people to get incentivized to go and join the PD.
0: Yeah.
1: Other than that, something which is, I think, a good, ap- a good, a good decision is no more place points or accumulation of buys, also no fractional invites. Unless what we discussed before, which was the adjusted match points.:
0: Yeah, mixed feelings on this one. Last week, I talked about how, for me, like working towards the first round buy or the second round buy at the Grand Prix was like part of me feeling like I was growing as a player or accomplishing something, and it, it was sometimes like a tiebreaker in choosing how to spend my my weekends, whether I wanted to like participate in this system or just you know do something else. So it's a little bit of a bummer to not have something like that. Um, there is, like, the risk that if the ways for me to participate are to travel, you know, 30 minutes or up to two hours to RPTQs around my area in, like, small stores where the only real tangible prize that I care about is getting first place, um, that's a recipe for, like, a little bit of disappointment on behalf of, yeah. you know, the 50 or 60 people who are there who are not getting first place. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand why they've set it up this way. I mean, it's like...
1: it's the f- I think it's like the fairest, albeit more tilt-inducing way.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: Like, I can already see people just going second in six events in a row and just bumping their head against the wall. Like, why? (laughs) So close, so many times.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that, I think, is going to affect us. At the higher levels, this is not going to affect us. But no, we no, talked no. about there's no longer pro player club. There's no longer MPL or rivals or anything like that. Hall of Fame actually did get included if you are a Hall of Famer. If you're a Hall of Famer at listening to this podcast, well, first of all, please contact us. <laughs> we would like to talk to you. But assuming that uh, most people listening to this show are not Hall of Famers.
1: <laughs> if you're a Hall of Famer, hi.
0: They will get invited to one pro tour per year and one regional championship per year.
1: Yeah. And finally, no announcement for team events of any sort. Of any sort, no digital-only PTs is a huge thing for now. And the flights are not included with the invite. This, I think, is sort of like if the prices are what they say. This, they they will be. This shouldn't be that much of a trouble as long as the tournaments like there's enough of a difference between the regional and the PT. Like, we have enough, like, if you have enough time, like, the price from the original plus the minimum price for the PT should be more than enough to cover for the flight and expenses, based on the four-minute math I did before this video. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But the the numbers seem to check out. Just take that into consideration. The, flying, the flight is not included.
0: Yeah, we hope so. So on the weekly MTG Q&A stream with Huey Jensen, uh, he did confirm that everyone who is qualified for the Pro Tour will receive some prize. Based on what the current levels are for like the set championships, I think it was like $750 extending down to like 250th place. So assuming they extend that to the 300 people they want to be at these Pro Tours, does $750 cover your flight and hotel? Well, not really, but then again, you are getting something from winning your regional championship if that's how you qualified.
1: I mean, the the price for the championship we said it before was like a lot. I don't know, like 10k, like 3k, was it?
0: Well, that's the first place prize. That's pretty top heavy. But like, look, uh, let's say you got 32nd place oh, okay, yeah. the USA regional championship. You were still qualified for the pro tour, but you're only taking home well, 1500 that's still pretty good. But I don't know what it would be in other countries. And then it depends on, like, okay, where is the Pro Tour? How much does the flight cost? How yeah, much does exactly. the hotels cost?
1: How much everything will cost, by the way.
0: You're taking, you know, a half a week off of your regular life to go there, so...
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That
0: was always true for the Paper Pro Tour, but that's the price we pay. <laughs> for the dream, playing the game, seeing the world.
1: For, for the dream to come true, play the game, see the world, finally. Finally back.
0: Yeah. Alright, I think that's it for the announcement, right? Yeah. So, how are you feeling about all this?
1: I'm happy with it. Like, it just happens at the time when I'm finally getting into pro play, finally when I get the time to focus on it. So, I'm happy. I hope I'm gonna manage to travel with this. Like, I think I... I'm not going to say I will qualify, but I have my hopes up that I will get a qualification for this pro- for one of the products next year, and I will finally have a way to travel. Like, I loved going to the, last, to the last product we played together, the Inistrad one, but we both know it's not the same playing it in your computer, on an arena, on a format you don't enjoy, than traveling, re- actual traveling with your friends to another place in the world, spending the weekend or a few days, playing the game you love, in the formats you love, alongside... I just want to get a picture with Menguchi and LSB. Is that too much to ask? Is <laughs> <laughs> that too much? I just want to be a fanboy. I just want to be there knowing I got there by the skin of my teeth and fine boying over the people I admire all these years. I want to be elbow to elbow against them. I want to face against LSB and lose graciously. Like, it's not the same.
0: I mean... I played against LSV in the last Pro Tour, and it was not the same. He dispatched me in about 10 minutes, and then I had enough time to go get lunch, so I went and got a burrito in honor of losing to LSV. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll have time to go to Chipotle, I'll just go to Chipotle and come back home.
1: You didn't look him at the eyes as he did, so. No. I wanna, I wanna get graciously slammed vocally by LSV, you know? I want Mango to say video to my face. I I live for small things.
0: <laughs> After the match, I, I tweeted at him and he did not reply, so that's... Exactly. <laughs> It's just not the same on digital only.
1: <laughs> so I don't care if I go last. I, like As long as it covers most of my travel expenses, that's all I need. Like I don't care if I go last and I end up neutral in cash, right? All that effort just for the travel, the experience, the friends, and the tournament. That's it. I'm more than set. I will return home excited, doing my biggest effort to just repeat that in three months.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. I'm gonna set my sights a little bit lower. I just want to make sure that I'm at the regional championships. I don't know like how hard or easy that's going to be. I think in my mind right now it feels like very doable. Of course, after I get, you know, second or tenth or O two drop at the first three regional qualifiers I go to, I'll be like, oh no, this is terrible. <laughs>
1: but- no. I know I know I will get you the regionals because the system here is a bit easier. Like you're competing against the whole USA. I'm competing against three hundred players, out of which eighty are competitive players. Maybe hundred at the most. And I know every single one of them by name. So once the first fifty are in, it's get like it gets remarkably easier by the tournament. Because there are so few of us.
0: Oh yeah. I mean I'm envisioning like a regional qualifier happening at a local store with 20 to 40 people
1: no no me too but it will be maybe
0: maybe 60 people
1: 40 at first 30 at the second and by the second month all the competitive players like will be qualifying so i i know i will get to chile i will know i will get to the originals and i will pull myself backwards in order to push forward after that
0: speaking of that interesting tidbit from the dreamhack discord this may only be true for the USA region, but Dreamhack said that if you win regional qualifiers on like back-to-back weekends, you can stack up your invites, because regional championships happen three times a year, so you can use them like throughout the year, which is kind of interesting.
1: That would be amazing. That would be amazing because like, this is a bit of, of an annoying part, especially in small communities. Once a player wins, he just feels like not part of the event, right? Because why am I playing?
0: Right. (laughs) You've ascended to heaven, you may preside (laughs) over the (laughs) the earthlings and watch them play, but you may not touch the cards yourself.
1: Because it's not like matching online where they can play, they just cannot qualify again. They cannot even play the tournament. So it's a pretty sucky feeling. So it would be great if it can be stacked. I'm not saying like infinitely, but at least twice. I think it would be a positive change.
0: So I'm excited to start playing the qualifiers. I'm very interested to see if someone like David or Damon are like motivated by this to actually get more involved in the scene. David, as as we know, like loves to brew. We'll play Magic Online because that's where we can get the, the leagues in for our <laughs> podcast. But, you know, will he go out and try to qualify for the regional championships? I feel like this system is a little more friendly towards the occasional player, right? There's not the need to be playing all the time. You know, you can just pick your spots and take your shots.
1: Yeah. And hope they land. And
0: then, you know, if if you win, you know what the next step is. You don't have to worry about, okay, accumulating this or that.
1: This system is extremely easy to understand, I think. And I think that's a huge upside for anyone trying to get into competitive play. Like... You are playing this to qualify 2 these, you play these to qualify to these, and you win these to qualify 2Ds. That's it.
0: Yeah. And the biggest thing for me is that the regional championship sounds fun. Like, if, if that did not sound like a fun event, I would not be as excited about this.
1: I think it's a big FNM. Because of the number of them it will be. Like, big FNMs.
0: Oh, I meant, like, the actual regional championship. Like, DreamHack Atlanta.
1: Oh, no, sorry. The regional championship just sounds close to me, like... The regional championship is likely the biggest tournament I will play in paper. I have never, as I have never been to a GP. The only one I was going to go was the Brazil in twenty third March that got cancelled due to COVID. So it's probably the biggest paper event I will ever play for the foreseeable future, and I'm really excited for that.
0: You'll have to play the Niv Mizzet deck that you intended to play at that GP.
1: No, no, that Niv Mizzet deck <laughs> got me the challenge win. That's it. <laughs> Friendship with
0: never be over. Solitude is my new best friend. All right, uh, so I think that's it for now on the Pro Tour. The organized play announcement. We've got some more news, so let's shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about Streets of New Capenna. They've been trickling out some preview cards this week, helping us get to know the guilds, the crime families. We've seen three members of the Charm Cycle and three of the Demon Crime Lords. So six cards to talk about, and most of them. To my eyes, are like not particularly relevant for our formats, but maybe I'm wrong. So Emmy, why don't you take us through the Maestro's Charm?
1: Okay, so Maestro's Charm, whose name is miswritten written in mythic spoiler, Maestro's Maestro's. So Maestro's <laughs> Charm, or as it will be better known in the foreseeable future, Grixis Charm, <laughs> is a. 3 mana, a black, a red and a blue, so Grixis Instant, that re- that has 3 modes, as per usual The first one, the most personal of the three Look at the top 5 cards of your hand Put one card into your hand, rest into your graveyard So like a pretty big strategic planning You look at 5 cards, 3 mana instant Second mode is each opponent loses 3 life and you gain 3 life So like aligning helix to the face Or 5 damage to a creature or planeswalker It's... A big removal, some really, really, really crappy life gain, or a cantrip.
0: Yeah, so there's some general points to keep in mind for evaluating not just these charms, but I imagine there's going to be several modal cards like this. That tends to be how they design gold cards these days. Yeah. In Pioneer, can you make the mana work? The mana has been getting better consistently in Pioneer. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen three or four color decks... All the time now and
1: now we get the grixis triumphs as well which really help with this sort of stuff like we get the incolored triumphs
0: oh yeah yeah so i mean especially if you're willing to take a turn or two off to play taplands, you can have almost perfect mana in pioneer and we see that already in existing decks in modern the mana is not a question but uh, efficiency is a, is a problem charms typically will overcharge you for any given effect so if you have a choice of three modes, but each of those modes is not really worth three mana, and the only exception to this is Archmage's Charm, where actually all three of those modes are pretty close to three mana worth of value, and that's like the only charm that sees play. So I think in modern, the question is just going to be, like, do you want one of the effects, and does the charm pitch to the relevant elementals or forces that you're playing?
1: <laughs> pitch elementals. <laughs>
0: And in that respect, I expect the white charms to be better than the rest, because you know, it's gonna be a reactive deck. Most reactive white decks play Solitude, um, whereas it's not clear if your if your deck is gonna be interested in pitching like a Grixis Charm, for example.
1: So regarding the pitch elementals, this is not particularly good in that regard, as you only have red. as like in a control deck, subtlety or grief are not gonna be what you want, and this is a control card or a mid range card to say the least. Yeah, like I don't want this in any particularly proactive deck, so this only piece is grief, which is on itself a bit of a problem. It's a weird card. I'm not sure I'll love it. I think it's personal enough. It might see some play, and I think someone like First Renegator is going to love this card and be all over it and try to make a 4-1 Grixis medium work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's closer to the power level for Pioneer Specifically because the first mode of the charm, look at your top five cards, one into your hand, four into your life, four into your graveyard, and the graveyard is a-, a profit zone in Pioneer. You can cast a future treasure cruise or dig through time or temporal yeah. trespass even. Um, and actually, that effect doesn't exist right now. Like, l- look at five, pick one, put four in your graveyard. That's like grisly Selvage, and you can't exactly find that exact effect on any existing card.
1: Yeah. A cheaper factor of fiction... Yeah. It's a bit of an overstatement, but... Because it's not card advantage.
0: But I'm staying it, I'll say it.
1: (laughs) But I like the card. Cheaper Factor Fiction. That being said, maybe Factor Fiction, alongside the option of removal, or life gain in colors that don't gain life, is, I think, pretty relevant. So I think this card will see play, not sure in Modern, more likely in Pioneer, but the card has... The card is personal enough. I think the charms that see play that are not as good as Argrace Charm... Like, look at Poro's charm. If the charm has one mode that is worth almost its cost, the card will see play, right? I suppose so. Like, there's charms that only see play because of one mode. How many times have you tapped everything with, like... How many times have you won something with Cryptic Command? 1% of the time?
0: Well, I mean Boros Charm has that one mode that's actually best in class. Like there is no other card that does 4 for 2 at instant speed. Is that true for any of these charms? I guess that's a question for Exactly. Uh, for this charm and the next one.
1: And the next one has similar effect.
0: Yeah, so Obscura Charm or Esper Charm, white, blue, black, instant, choose one. Option one, return target multicolor permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Option two, counter target instant or sorcery spell. Option three, destroy target creature or planeswalker with mana value three or less. So for three mana in Esper Colors, you are getting Eliminate. That's the removal spell. Yep. You're getting a weaker version of Negate, which doesn't counter planeswalkers or enchantments or artifacts. <laughs> or you are getting some kind of uh, actually kind of intriguing instant speed unearth effect.
1: So, let me tell you where I'm, for- where I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this in one deck. And I think that deck is going to be pretty good with this.
0: Yeah, make the case, because I'm not seeing this one myself.
1: <laughs> so, I think this deck in Modern will see play, for example, in a somewhat old but still play deck, which is the Esper animator shell, but the four-color one. Because alongside three, alongside 3 mana Tef as something amazing to reanimate, you also get stuff like Wandering Mind. And you have Faithful Mending to win both. And this gives you a capability of playing the control game that that leg sometimes lack the way to play efficiently. Because you can go turn to hold up Contra spell or Faithful Mending on your opponent's end step. Into turn 3, either reanimate an Archon, reanimate a Tef, or say go with a Contra open. And you can reanimate Tef if you hold this up. It gives you so much versatility in your patterns of play, which must be mind-wrecking for your opponent. Like, you cannot play around stopping an Archon, stopping a Death, and a Counter.
0: Okay, I like that. Yeah, a lot of people are interested in bringing back Teferi Time Raveler at instant speed. But that's, that's kind of slow if you had to cast Teferi Time Raveler first. But if you're saying I can just Faithful Mending to put it in the graveyard...
1: If my leg is already playing four Faithful Mendings and I have also Wondering mine as an extra target that's multicolored that costs three and that also digs for Obscura Charm <laughs> True I think you're starting to pull on sufficient patterns of play that you want
0: the dream, of course, is to wait for them to cast the cascade effect, and then you obscure a charm in response and bring back the and the static <laughs> stops the cascade. But
1: I'm gonna say that is never to happen because 99% <laughs> of the time that the Ferry goes to the graveyard is due to Force of Negation, and Force of Negation exiles.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you hate to see that.
1: <laughs> you can, the oftentimes irrelevant line being relevant.
0: So, cards in modern you might be looking at Teferi, obviously, Grist, Renin 6. There's General Ferris for Kyrick, Risen Reef, maybe. Things get interesting if you go over to Pioneer. Now, the biggest target would be Greasefang Okiba Boss, but. He didn't stop. Cleverly enough, they thought of this already. They, they thought of that and they put that tapped clause on the Obscura Charm. The <laughs> Grease Fang will be reanimated. It will come into play tapped, and that means that he cannot crew the Parhelion that turn. You have to wait a turn. Or do it on their end step, you know, Obscura Charm on their end step, and then untap your Grease Fang, and that's fine. That's probably still worth it.
1: Yeah. I didn't know you guys had a love for Slither Wisp.
0: Oh yeah, this is a little note from David here. Damon has the only recorded 5o in Modern with Slitherwisp. <laughs> we don't We don't know how it happened.
1: Well, I had a really close 4-1 to a 5o when I was forcing mo- um Slither, Wisp Neve. Oh god. <laughs> which was Neve the only creature in the deck and the only the only two creatures in the deck were Slither, Wisp, Neve and Icefang Quadle, and everything else was instant speed besides the BTLS. It was so bad, I love it.
0: Okay, Slitherwisp, blue, black, black, 3-2, Flash, Elemental Nightmare. Whenever you cast another spell that has Flash, you draw a card, and each opponent loses one life. So you are like a Flash tribal deck, basically. <laughs> a foolish endeavor, but but Damon did it once, and it sounds like, I Emmy, mean, you came pretty close, despite not having any Flash cards in your deck.
1: All, I, all I'm gonna say is the biggest problem with Slitherwisp is it being double black. Like, I would try to make a Slither Wisp deck working modern right now with Solitude, ice fan Quarrel and Omen of the Seas if it was double blue and one black. I cannot make my Solitude deck pay for double black. Maybe with Esper Triumph I can. But not not today. <laughs> so I, I will try to make this with David work. I'm gonna make Esper Flash when I get my Triumphs and my obscura charm and, and i will suck with it
0: the slither wisp challenge 2022 is back on
1: <laughs> we are back on the slither wisp
0: all right so we have a few more cards and they're less interesting uh i'm not even going to read the text on the naya charm or rather the Cabaretti charm uh it's not very good it's like a Turkus command but you only get to choose one mode and it costs three so i'm just going to skip that one if that's okay with you
1: um yeah 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 i think it's the worst of the bunch by a mile like it's so the grixie charm was interesting the esper charm is pretty good the naya charm is borderline. i'm not even unplayable it's unmentionable
0: yeah i tried to think of things to do with it and then i kept coming back to a Turkish command and like that's legal in pioneer and modern and that's it it's <laughs> so much better than cabaret Charm.
1: yeah yeah this card is so bad
0: Okay, so we'll skip now to the heads of the crime families, the legendary demons. And again, the Naya option is not looking too good here, this is Jetmir, Nexus of Revels, a party cat. Should we even read this card?
1: It's a 4 mana 5-4 that pumps your team, taking into account how many creatures you have. If your lord requires 9 creatures to provide 3, plus 0 and double strike, I'm going to say something that someone told me when I was starting to play this game and I was trying stuff like, I don't know, something that based on the number of creatures I have. If you have eight creatures on board, you are already winning. You don't need an extra lord if you have eight creatures on board. Unless you're playing Commander. I'm talking about Modern and Pioneer here. If you have something that only works if it's your ninth creature, it doesn't work. That's it. Yep.
0: So that's Jetmere next to the revels. My jetmere. <laughs> next up, Rafine, scheming seer Esper colors. White, blue, black, legendary creature, sphinx demon. One four flying with ward one. Whenever you attack, target attacking creature connives X, where X is the number of attacking creatures. Okay, what does connive mean? It means that you draw X cards, then discard X cards. We call that looting. <laughs> Put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature for each non-land card discarded this way. So it seems like connive is something that creatures do. And I'm I'm hoping yeah. we're going to see like a lot of this effect, maybe some cool ETBs on creatures. Basically, it's that like looting with the occasional plus one, plus one counter bonus.
1: Yeah, that can get... Pretty big out of hand, like a turn one creature, turn two creature into this, attack with both, discard two non-lands, put two counters on your creature, and next turn put three counters on something, it grows kind of ha- fast.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, if you think of it as an aggressive card, it's like, kind of like a Luminarch Aspirant that also loots.
1: I think of this mostly like a, a, of a tempo card, but I think that's war getting in my head.
0: Well, it's a one-four flyer. So, like, do you really want a one-four in your aggressive go-wide deck? That's the question.
1: I mean, it's a one-four with an ETB, or like, in most case scenarios, the turn it enters, you get to loot and grow a creature.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's an ETB if you're attacking that turn, and that's a big if. I mean, if they just killed your first two things, yeah, you're yeah. not attacking. <laughs> I like it. It's an interesting card.
1: It's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's like not quite. Above that threshold of just being individually powerful, so it's a synergy card, and those are the kinds of cards that we like here at the Faith of Spring podcast. We like these cards. Um, they're going to be uphill battles.
1: <laughs> just trying to force them into stuff, make them work. Exactly.
0: All right. Finally,
1: we can go to I think the most interesting of the bunch, which is the Grixis Lord, Lord Sunder the Collector. So, we have a 7-mana, 4-and-Crixis Colors legendary creature vampire demon noble. Which is like the Twilight version of creature types. So, <laughs> it's a 7-mana 6-6 six six that has 3 paragraphs of text. When it enters the battlefield, target opponent discards half the cards in their hand, rounded down. When it attacks, target player mills half their library, rounded down. And when it dies, the target opponent sacrifices half non-land they control, rounded down. So, three triggers completely unrelated to each other, discard, meal, sacrifice on a 6 6 party. So, why did we leave this for last? Why do we think this is playable?
0: Well, you tell me.
1: I have one <laughs> decent argument for this.
0: Is it Sword and Imperius Bloodlord or is it something else? It's
1: Sword and Imperius Bloodlord. Of course, it's Sword and <laughs> okay. Bloodlord. And I'm going to say this. In less than three months, I'm going to see screenshots of people complaining to their point opponent, going, Turn 1, Bad Vampire. Turn 2, Double Vampire. You use using resources to deal with the beaters. And all of a sudden, turn 3, Sorin, sander, make you discard two cards, leave a 6-6 that if you kill, you have to sacrifice a creature. And I still have my place for Girl Alive.
0: Those screenshots will exist, but those decks will not be winning. I mean, th- that doesn't sound like actually as powerful as the mythic symbol on here would lead you to believe. All of these triggers are rounded down. So, I mean, milling half their library rounded down is actually really, really dangerous in a format like Pioneer. Like, it's not going to help you win. It could just bin all of their Light Phoenixes, for example. Yeah. Sacrificing half of their non-LAM permanence, I mean, that's also not that enticing. If it was rounded up, that would be good. Rounded down?
1: No, no, if it was rounded up, I think... if If this whole card was rounded up, I think it would be insane. Like, if I, your opponent has 5 cards in hand round 3, and you get this to play, make them discard 3. It's just devastating. Like, on its own. You don't even need the rest of the card, right? It could be a vanilla 6-6 six, six that discards 3. I would take that.
0: But what if it's a vanilla 6-6 six, six that discards 0 or 1, is the question.
1: If my opponent has 0 cards in hand, and I have a 6-6 six, six that...
0: You have a Colossal Dreadmaw without Trample.
1: On turn 3, when my opponent has no hand. <laughs> I would take that.
0: Oh, okay, so you're, you're imagining that you have Sorin every time. Okay. That's, I mean, that's the crux of it, right? Like, Sorin is already good. Sorin putting in Champion of Dusk is reliable and good in a way that Sorin putting in Lord Xander is not.
1: Yeah, could be. Could be just a dream. I don't think this card is good enough for, like, Renimator or or, or Polymorph, because in water we have so much better stuff. And now they printed the Praetor, whose name I can remember, into Pioneer.
0: Yeah, Jenga Um, I mean, in Pioneer, you could, you could try to do something with this in Pioneer. David actually has got a couple of preliminary brews already.
1: Straight into it.
0: These will be in the extended show notes if you're a member of our Patreon, you can see them. The gist of it is vampires already have a minor reanimation theme thanks to Olivia Crimson Bride. When she attacks, she gets to reanimate another vampire and that vampire sticks around as long as you have any legendary vampires in play. So you... you attack with Olivia Crimson Bride, bring back any legend, such as Kalidas or Edgar, and then that second legend just sticks around. Now, Olivia already costs six, so it's kind of like, okay, yeah. does she already require Sorin? And if she already requires Sorin, are we adding more vampires, like Lord Xander, that also require
1: Sorin? That's the biggest problem.
0: But if you have enough looters, like Modern Age or something else, you can maybe set it up reliably.
1: So, I think it's an interesting card. Like, it's worth the chat at least. Which is a lot more than the Naya one can say.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, another way you could do the reanimation package would be with Blood Tokens or Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So again, these lists are just quick sketches. Depending on how the spoiler season shakes out, maybe we'll be seeing Lorizander again, or maybe not. We'll have to see.
1: Also, f- final thing for the spoiler season, Udabrask was confirmed, so we're getting a red- the red. Assumed
0: that creator on New Pena. Oh, okay.
1: Which makes me really happy because he was the good creator. I don't know how much you know of the lore, Dan, but he was the creator that was actually helping the mirrorings.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: So, maybe he maybe he helps Elspeth and we can all be happy.
0: Are we, like, shipping Elspeth and Urobrask? Uh, Elspabrask?
1: That
0: show... <laughs> Hashtag Elspeth. Not only that
1: show has been made, there has been a lot of proposed namings for that sheep, and that just me into my co- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Twitter was oh, filled with names for that shipping for a few hours yesterday.
0: <laughs> I'm following either the wrong people or the right people. I'm not sure, so I did not see. That.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if not seeing it was the good thing or the bad thing. Oh boy! <laughs> but yeah, that, that 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 has happened. People are shipping them together. Elspethrask. Elspeth, Rask, El, Elspeth Rask was, I think, one of them.
0: Elsp-brask? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Oh boy. Exactly. So, Streets of Nuka Penna official previews begin next week, and a little quirk in the scheduling, they are delaying the digital release until after the paper release, so even though preview season will be starting and we'll be tracking the developments, we do have some extra weeks before we can actually play with these cards on Magic Online. But that's okay because we've got unfinished business with Neon Dynasty. We got some follow-ups on some brews we played, beginning with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which was a card we did a deep dive on last week. Yeah. So no time like the present. Let's follow up a little bit on how that card performed in the decks that we tested.
1: Also, the price on that card, like the curve, is just a beautiful, a beautiful thing to see.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I included a little. MTG stocks graph on Fable of the Mirror Breaker. <laughs> I mean the <laughs> card went from fifty cents to six dollars almost.
1: Yeah, in a matter of seconds. Like in a matter of days, like when we started to talk about it, I don't remember exactly who compared to season Pinomancer. I think it was Arilax. It got a whole lot of tournaments in the same week. It just spiked up.
0: We did a whole episode on this entitled why is everyone playing fable of the mirror breaker? And I compiled like a dozen lists. I promoted this episode and as I'm like sending this out and talking to a bunch of people, everyone's like, Oh wow, this is so interesting. It never once occurred to me to actually buy the card myself. And now I'm just a very sad, sad boy. Like, damn, why, why didn't I just buy the damn card?
1: (laughs) That's that's for everybody. Everyone on
0: discord is like, yeah, I, I bought the card. As soon as I heard the episode, glad I got in before the spike.
1: That's a meme of Dan saying, everybody, you should buy this card because it will make a lot of money. Followed by everybody saying, Dan, why didn't you buy the card?
0: I just forgot. I was busy promoting the episode <laughs> and telling everyone else to buy the card.
1: I didn't buy the card because I was busy telling everybody to buy the card.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. There was no time.
1: Dan is so selfless, he puts every single one of us in front of himself. That's a Dan we love.
0: If anyone listening bought like a hundred copies and has four pity copies, I will buy them from you.
1: <laughs> Send the pity copies to Dan. What a marvel.
0: All right, uh, so let's talk about the decks. I mean, you tackled modern.
1: Yeah, so I started, I fired up a league, and I started a second one, which I think I I I, I am too old, if I don't misremember. We what was the challenge winner from Sunday, which was a Mardu Reanimator mid range. Blink, discard shell. Maybe I should add more adjectives, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) So, the list in mention features four Stitcher Supplier, four Ephemerate, four season Pinomancer, four Persist, four Priest of the Feldwrights, four Grief, two Solitudes, one Fury, one of Oxagonas, one um, Touch of the Spirit Realm, and finally, three Favorite of the Mirror Breaker. So the main goal is reanimate stuff by looting them. We don't have any tutor into the graveyard. We just either mill stuff or discard stuff. And the deck works somehow. Like, I went 3-2 in my first league and I lost most of my games to the deck being... I don't want to say poorly built because it won a challenge. Untuned would be the right word.
0: Untuned, you have one Ox of Agonis, <laughs> one Fury, two Solitudes. This is perfect numbers.
1: <laughs> sorry, sorry. There's there Also, I'm forgetting this. There's an ending to the right. An ending.
0: Okay. One prismatic ending, exactly. They ran all the numbers. Sideboard has one March of otherworldly Light.
1: <laughs> so, I got into games where I wanted to play a turn to rest in peace. And in my whole 75, I have one ending, one March. That's it. I have no other way to stop resting peace in my four persist, four priest, four titular suppliers decklist.
0: But you have seven looting effects. You have four season pyromancer, three fables. So in theory, you could just pitch all your citrus suppliers and persists, and then start hard casting your elementals.
1: Yeah, and that's how I played the game, but I was too far behind. Like the deck can't play a fair game. Uh. I actually really felt like Fable of the Mirror Raker was really powerful in the deck. I think it has three advantages over Season and a huge disadvantage over Season Pyromancer. The first advantage is it makes a bigger board, the bodies are more useful that it provides. The second one is that it avoids Torponor and Dressdown, which was relevant when you're playing Peach Elementals and Season Pinomancer in your deck because people are bringing in those cards against you. Hmm. but it has the huge disadvantage of being a much worse top deck in this sort of shell when you're exiling your whole hunt to pitch elementals and you go into top deck mode season pyromancer is godsend good yeah like your three mana teach you that you can ephemerate or Malakit rivers in your pa- or touch of the spirit realm so you have seven blink effects it's just insane it's gonna win you so many games just to ephemerate a season for value. That being said, you can also ephemerate the Kiki Shiki in the last step and get back the looting step, but it's a looting, not a card draw step.
0: When we talk about the ceiling of a card, the ceiling of Season Pyromancer is to cast that empty handed and draw two cards, which is just an insane effect for a creature. I mean, Muldrifter costs five to do that. Season Pyromancer can do that for three, and it gives you value out of the graveyard, and it can do all kinds of other stuff adding board presence. It's a very immediate impact. Whereas Fable, it takes more time. And you can imagine scenarios where, you know, you play out all three so- all three chapters of the saga and-, and start copying things. I'm curious, did that ever happen for you?
1: I got to copy an ox once. <laughs> but mostly I got to, like, the good synergy I got was in some scenarios, I was like, I didn't have an ephemera for my solitude, so it was like evoke solitude, copy solitude. Or Evo Grief, Cop Grief.
0: Interesting, but you did find yourself actually reaching the turn of the game where you'd gone through all three chapters.
1: This plays a decent long game. Like this is a resource deck. It plays almost like a mid range deck over like a over like a combo shell because you don't have sorry, this deck features kind of or um, archons. They're not in the photo because I'm an idiot, I think. But you're playing three archon of cruelties. This doesn't play like a combo deck because you don't have stuff like Unmarked Grave. Like, you really have to catch your looters or mill it luckily via teacher Supplier, right? So you're not persisting an Archon consistently before turn 4. Which means you're playing a sort of removal-based game, discarding your opponent's hand via Grief, attacking their resources, or forcing them to interact with yours before going for the kill with the dragon. If you look at the sideboard, it's mostly interactive stuff. You have Final Push, two Helix, Leyline, and Obsidian Charmo as a way to pressure your opponent, even in Gochure, that you can both ephemerate and persist. So the decklist is in a weird in-between between a combo deck and a mid-range plan. Which I really enjoyed, actually. Like the, the decklist, that's why it plays like in a weird way. And the original decklist, I'm gonna post it the, this decklist, and when I get home, open empty Show and take a better one, just leaving this here as a backup. But, as you see, it even played three per. The original original decklist only played three persist. In your Archon Please. Shell. That's insanity. At least for me.
0: Well, challenge winner. Challenge, challenge winner. winner.
1: But, yeah, I think the deck is really fun. I think there's something to it, like a Mardu version of the Expert Blink Reanimator. And I might take a- another look at it. I am too 0 in a league, actually, right now, after a few changes, like... I added a lot more endings to this deck <laughs> because I think it was insanity. I even went ahead and just went up to the fourth um mirror fable because I went down a stitcher supply because I think it's a really bad card. You have to get insanely lucky for it to work,
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's a a good change,
1: but yeah, fun deck it really makes fable shine. And I think it's worth at least a look. And if you enjoy this sort of strategy, take it for a spin.
0: All right, well said. We move over now to Pioneer, where David, our resident brewmaster, got the fable itch, and he had the idea to <coughs> pair it with a tokens strategy. So the concept here was to use the cards Showdown of the Skulls and brought back, along with a bunch of cards that just like add a little material to the board. So. Blood Tithe Harvester, Thraben Inspector, Deadly Dispute. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, of course, provides tokens on chapters one and three, so plenty of material to feed to Deadly Dispute. There's even a couple of shambling ghasts here. In order to extend the game long enough to make use of all these cards, David is playing Thought Seize and Fatal Push, four of each. And then his his big top end comes in the form of the four Showdown of the Skulls, the Four Fables, two Broughtbacks, and two copies of Atsushi. Blazing Sky. Uh, this is two red red legendary creature, Dragon Spirit, for a 4 4 flying trample. When sushi dies, choose one. Either create three treasures or exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. So that's, that's a pretty cool card. One of the more playable of the Kamigawa Mythic Dragons, but it hasn't really found a home yet.
1: Yeah, we discussed it on preview as the most playable of the set, as a, in the, mostly in a shell like this one, like in a low to ground aggressive shell where it works in both ways.
0: Yeah. So he took this deck into the Pioneer leagues, and it didn't go well. I think the the first drafts felt a little rough, and he ended up uh, going O for it. But learning important lessons along the way, maybe he just didn't have enough lands, for example. The Atsushis were a little bit awkward if you're using a Showdown of the Skulls. Um, you really don't want that many expensive cards cluttering up your, your showdowns. In in modern, you can do that with you know Fury Solitude, because those are free to cast, but Atsushi is gonna take your whole turn to cast that if you hit Atsushi. Fable takes most of your turn to cast that. Uh, so David went back to the lab and just tweaked and tuned some of the numbers. And came back with a second version that felt much smoother, basically cleaning up the mana a little bit. His first build had Thraben Inspector, but I think he found that there's no real reason to extend into so much white when Voldaren Epicure does basically the same thing, so yeah. just a straight swap to get cleaner mana. Cut the Atsushi's, trimmed on Right of Oblivion to get more Graveyard Trespassers in the deck. And yeah, it's just like a cleaner curve overall, I think, in the second version. And he said this one has has felt much better, although his test league with this only went two and three again, uh some some difficult variants there.
1: Yeah, mostly against Stagro
0: Yeah, exactly. As for Fable itself, I think David found it to be a little bit clunky in both in this build and in general. It's not so good against decks that can go bigger. Right, what You think about what exactly is the most you can get out of Fable, you're going to get a pair of 2-2s, a loot, and that's actually you know, that's not that impressive if the opponent has an in-game plan that is just insurmountable. Um, similarly, against an aggro deck, uh, that's a lot of mana to just add your first 2-2 to the board, so it, it's not really clear where Fable fits. Definitely a mid-range card for a low-resource game, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's mostly a focus of it. I think that's why it works in the modern deck alongside Grief and Fury. Like stuff that's really trading on resources every single turn. And Fable is just allowed to do its thing in there. Which I don't think is as common in Pioneer.
0: Right. So, interesting that David had trouble with Aggro. Aggro is kind of on a downswing right now in Pioneer, um, ever since the banning of Lurus. But Fable is especially bad against Aggro. Uh, I think that was David's tentative conclusion. He thinks for this particular build, if you just cut the Fables and focus on Showdown, you might have a better plan. He, he did say that he found Showdown to be extremely powerful and perhaps just an underplayed card right now in Pioneer in general.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think like the first group was destined to fail because broadbug I think, is unplayable without fetch lands. But I think the second one looks a lot smoother.
0: Yeah, brought back is tough in Pioneer, but it's interesting concept. Like, what happens if you advance Fable all the way to Chapter 3, get Reflection of Kiki Jiki, and then that will probably die at some point? That's actually a real card. I think I misspoke when I said it was a token. Yeah, yeah. It's a real card. If you brought back that, it comes back as a front side of, of the Fable. So it's it's like sort of plausible, but yeah, I think overall there's just not enough stuff to enable brought back.
1: Your dreaming is just too big. Is that a showdown? Because getting showdown with broadback is insane. Having done that in modern is so much card advantage.
0: Yeah. All right. So, any closing thoughts on Fable of the Mirror Breaker?
1: Um, I'm gonna defend it mostly in modern. I don't think it's better than Season Pyromancer because of the fe- not only the velocity of modern, where a three mana, where Season Pyromancer can be a three mana four four when needed, split of three bodies, which is like amazing against either pressuring planeswalkers or protecting your own and we have seen that curve a lot from decks like just go turn three season into turn four like either attack your teferi or protect my own chase when rhinos used to play season and chase like as a good plan b and fable falls a bit short of that but i think it's the closest thing to copies five six and seven of season pyromancer Which means, if you're playing a Rakdos or a Maru deck that needs the good good way to turn through their deck, this is likely one of the best effects we have right now in Modern as well. The fact it doesn't just get stopped by stuff like Torporor and Dressdown is relevant because it's really good cyber against these sort of decks, so... I think you need to test this card. I think you need to play it in order to see how good it is. And the fact that the 2-2 makes a treasure on attack, the first one, really helps when you're pushing into your 5-mana place, right? It's a bit of text that tends to get undervalued out of the card. The card actually ramps you in an empty board.
0: Yeah, so I think it's fair to say we're going to be seeing a lot more of Fable. Even though the week of wild experimentation and Pioneer seems to have died down a little bit, I'm still going to try it in a few other shells. I spent most of my week playing with Celestine enchantment builds, and, you know, I had a mixed success. I often found that in the, in the grindy matchups, you know, against, like, Control or Rakdos, I needed more than eight copies of my enchantress effects. You know, I was playing Eidolon of Blossoms and and Champion, so I've resisted splashing into red because I liked my clean green-white mana, but there is an alternate build that I almost registered in the in the qualifier that would just throw some pathways and stomping grounds in the deck and just find room for four copies of Fable, I think that might smooth things out. Um, Again, I would leave myself very dead to aggro. I think David is absolutely right that Fable is not a good card when you're on defense.
1: No, not at all.
0: But when you're trying to just uh, build your engine and keep powering through, I think there's a lot that Fable could accomplish, even in something like an Enchantress deck. So that is my testing plan for, for this week as we continue to learn about this exciting card.
1: Exactly. Like, please, don't just ignore the card because it's a saga from Kamigawa. I know most of the rest are underwhelming in Modern. Just play it once. Take it for a spin.
0: Alright, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Next week, we are shifting our focus to Pioneer. We'll be talking about the state of the formats, giving you another rundown if you're interested in getting into Pioneer, learning what are the decks to be aware of, what are some decks you might like to play, and how do you attack those decks. And then we'll be proposing some new brews. I think, much like with Fable, there were a few cards in Neon Dynasty that deserve a little more attention than we had time to give them in our rigorous weekly brewing schedule. Hmm. So I think we'll be definitely looking again at Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh. I know that's one David says he felt like has not gotten his fair shake in the formats. Uh, and maybe have a few other spicy ones coming down the pipeline as well
1: maybe time for some ninjas to shine if I'm not mistaken
0: oh a little Kato Shizuki okay yeah <laughs> the sky's the limit
1: the sky's the limit especially when you start with a goose
0: <laughs> alright so that's gonna do it for us Emmy. take care
1: thanks so much for having me on hope you have a nice day have a nice night everybody or a nice day I don't know when you're hearing this I my judge?
0: Bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Decklists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next week for our pioneer state-of-the-format address, plus new brews with Tezzeret, Kato Shizuki, and more. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.